Well, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, good to see you. Very good to see you. Could you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4? Um, you know, if that's new territory for you, 1 John chapter 4, there's nothing wrong with using the index. I love people to know their way around the Bible. Uh, just a little hint on this one, uh, that is, is that if you went to the back of your Bibles, you get to Revelation the next one up from that is Jude, and then you have one, two, three, John. Or if you're going that way, three, two, one, John. Anyway, so it's one John chapter four. I hope you catch the gist of what I'm saying. Um, and we'll be in there in a moment, so we're not going to dive in. It's just got your fingers in there. As John said, um, we are we're calling today King's DNA, and I just want a moment or two to help you understand why we're, why we're doing that. We, we wanted to take the opportunity to identify key distinctives, um, key identification markers that, that are, are probably specific or particular as we see it to ourselves. So important and significant aspects that we are reaching out for as a local body. So if anybody wanted to know, you know, what are the key values, principles, identity markers that are meaningful for you, this would be, this is where we'd be. This would be the heart of us. Now, you also have to understand, this list is not exhaustive. And I dare say, some of you will say, why didn't you have this, you know, why didn't you have the? Well, the reason is, we have a limited space of time. So, we're going to do this over a period of seven Sundays, six weeks. So, um, these are, this is, these are sort of stakes in the ground. This is what we would stand for. We're not saying we've arrived. We're not saying we have it all. They're just, they're distinctives that we aspire to. I, I just really wouldn't be as presumptuous to say, as we have it all sorted, oh, I dare not do that. Just not at all. You know, as a, a leadership team is made up, I understand, of human beings. And therein lies a problem. Because, you know, there's, there's, that's, that's an evident weakness built into leadership teams. And we, we make mistakes on, uh, on occasions. You know, I, I look back on occasions and I think, you know what, I wish I would, you know, I would do it all differently now. I would do that or this or whatever. I would just do that differently. The trouble is you, you can't turn back the clock, and uh, you've only got one go at this. It's like that with children, isn't it? So, uh, well, it's the same in the church too. Um, but the point is, is this is very much be the heart of us. Now, I also want to, so included in that, you'll get, you know, the importance of Scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit, worship, the be sort of, and others. There'll be just sort of key, key stakes in the ground, distinctives of what we are. If you're new here today, and we have people new every, every Sunday, I want to thank you so much for coming. I, I hope you'll find this helpful, but more than that, I hope you'll stick in there, and it will give you an insight to us at Kinks. So let me, let me also say this, that you know, what we believe is in broad agreement with lots of other churches, many, many churches in High Wycombe. I'm so pleased that Simon chose that song about what we believe, you know, because 
along with other believers, another church we believe in God, Father Almighty, in Christ Jesus, only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, will come to judge the living and the dead. You know the Nicene Creed. We, we go with all of that. They don't have a problem with any of that. But, you know, each church has its own distinctives. And that's a little bit of what we want to pull out in these series. One last thing of this long introduction. Forgive me. And thank you for being so attentive. You know, as a church, we are seeking to have a presence in other places. We're, we are actively now looking for other sites. That means that that's our aim, to be a multi-site church. And in light of that, these distinctives we trust is what you would find at any site. If you're a part of King's, at any site, you would find these key distinctives. And being a multi-site church or aspiring to be that, it's important that you know this is what we stand for. This is what is key and important to us. Anyway, let's get in. Community. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 11. And that will come up on the screen as well. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want to highlight two things this morning. I want to highlight the how of community, and but prior to that, I want to highlight the why of community. I think they'll dovetail into one another at times, so you'll just have to bear with that. Um, but someone wrote this. She wrote, There is no pain like the pain of loneliness. Marla Paul, Paul is, uh, I don't know if she still is, but was a columnist, a writer, a weekly writer for Chicago, for the Chicago Tribune. And she confessed in print. She did this section on one uh, one day, she said, on it she wrote, I am lonely. How did it happen that I could be 42 years of age and not have enough friends? This loneliness saddens me. Loneliness, said Mother Teresa, is the leprosy of modern society. And no one wants anybody to know that they are a leper. There is a longing to belong in every one of us. Marla Paul had an astonishing response to the column that she wrote in which she talked about her loneliness. 
in the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, you get this phrase, and the phrase is this, and it was good. So God created light, and it just follows after that, and it was good. Uh, God created land and sea, and it was good. God created birds of the air and creatures of the sea, and it was good. You got this flavor of it was good. And then you go into chapter 10, and uh, God has created Adam. And in verse 15, it's clear he gives him purpose. He, and there's fellowship between Adam and God. You can see that. And then there's this jarring note in verse 18. And God says, it is not good for man to be alone. God has created us with an inbuilt need for others. He's put it in there. You would, you would think that we could spiritually say, do you know, everything that we need is in God. And, that, and there is a truth to that. But he, he's built this into us, a need for community, not to be alone, not to be solitary, but to be in community. God has put that in us. He's wired us up that way. And he's wired us up to say that actually he is not enough. We need to be in community. He's made us this way. It's really key that we get this. Actually, it's quite cleverly highlighted in the film Castaways. Has anybody seen the film Castaways? Just raise your hands. You can own up to this. If you've seen the film Castaways, my wife said she thought it was really boring. But the point is this. Tom Hanks plays the part of a castaway. There's a plane crash, and he's washed up on an uninhabited island on his own. And a number of packages from the plane are, are washed up too. And one of them contains... Pardon? One of them, I can hear you say it. One of them contains Wilson. What do you mean contains Wilson? Who's Wilson? It's a, it's a volleyball, actually. It's, it's, vo it's a volleyball. So it's, 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 in one of these packages, it's this volleyball. And um, he, he paints a face on the volleyball. And he calls the volleyball Wilson. And he, and he talks to Wilson. He just personifies this volleyball. And then he makes a little head for a hair of, bit of hair on his head. And, um, and he becomes extremely attached to Wilson. He has such a deep attachment. He takes him with him when he's escaping the island. He's on a raft. And then he realizes that Wilson has fallen overboard. And this is the clip that we're going to watch. Wilson! Wilson!
I wonder if the uh, welcome team could hand out tissues at this point. <laughs> and then, uh, so I wish. See, see, even on his own, he's desperate for community. Just one other. And Wilson is his friend for four years on that island. I'm not suggesting you go home and make friends with volleyballs. I'm not (laughs) suggesting that at all. All I'm saying is that the fundamental truth is is this. We are made for community. And the reason we're made for community is because this is the way God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is community. If God himself is just one, by himself, alone, how can he know love? Let me just say this. This is one of the best books I have ever read on the Trinity. I'll leave it out for you at the book store afterwards for you to thumb through. Don't you dare take this away. Okay, but uh, it's just, it's, it is a read. But, I mean, he's the best writer I know who's demystified the Trinity. And, and he's done it so well. He's not taken anything away either. And it's really well, really well said. It's, um, it's just truly refreshing. And anyway, he quotes this um, young Scot from the 1150s named Richard, who was, um, who, who was at a... Um, an abbey where he dedicated himself to contemplating God and became a very influential author of his day. Richard argued that if God was just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving since for all eternity, before creation, he would have had nobody to love. If there were two persons, he went on, God might be loving, but in an excluding ungenerous way. After all, when two persons love each other, they can be so infatuated with each other that they simply ignore everyone else. And a God like that would be far from good news. But when the love between two persons is happy, healthy, secure, they rejoice to share it. Just so it is with God said Richard, being perfectly loving from all eternity, the Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Spirit. It is not then then that God becomes sharing, being triune. God is a sharing God and a God who loves to include. Indeed, that is why God will go on to create. His loving is not for keeping but for spreading. This is really, really helpful, you know. 
Dear friends, John writes, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is, this is what God is like. That's the point. This is what God is like. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving one another, enjoying one another, delighting in one another. Tim Keller, who leads Redeemer Church in New York, a terrific author, he, he calls it, I think in his book, The Reason of God, he calls it the dance of God. I mean, it's just wonderful. Absolutely. Utterly relational God. We're made in his image. We're wired for relationship. We, we are meant to be in contact with one another. Love one another, he says. It doesn't just love, it's just love one another. There's a longing in each one of us to belong. But the truth is this, it's not as simple as it sounds. You know, we, our culture has dramatically changed over the decades. We live next door to people who we do not know. We live next door to people who we've lived next door to for years and we do not know. Somebody can die in a house and not be known for months. And what, 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 it's an amazing culture that is, that is broken and distanced itself from one another. We work with people who live somewhere else. Surveys will tell you this, that the loneliest place in Britain is the most populated. It's London. London, the most populated, most affluent, most vibrant with activity, and yet it is the most relationally poor place. It is the loneliest place in Britain. And I'm not saying oh, that loneliness is just London. You get that here. I mean, I, you must, some people have, uh, you've probably done this. We ask the question, who really knows me? If I moved, how many people would miss me? I wonder if you've asked that question. No, no, no. Not miss, not what I do, not what I do, but miss me. Everyone assumes everyone else is connected. Not true. And then aside from our culture, the truth is, as someone once said, it's easier to love community than it is one another. That's a great line. That's a great line. When Adam rebelled against God and chose to go his own way, he ruptured his relationship with God. But there was an immediate effect sideways, you know, on a horizontal level with Eve. Just, it, you know, and then Adam finds himself, I mean, he immediately blames Eve, but with a throwaway line to God, the woman you gave me. <laughs> That's a line in the Bible. You don't have to use every line in the Bible. It's not one to be used for ammunition. The woman you gave me. But it's very quick, you see. And then from there you've got Cain has killed his brother Abel and you know, just follow it all through. I mean, it's just relational disaster zone. Loving people isn't easy. But you look at the man who wrote this. I mean, John. John was known with his brother. They were known as the sons of thunder. It should give you a little bit of an insight into John. 
I mean, in the, in the Gospels, he comes across as a firebrand. Do you know, on one occasion, a Samaritan village uh, doesn't welcome Jesus. And John and his brother say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? What a lovely guy, eh? You want this one in your small group, don't you? See? And at another time, he and James, they, they come to Jesus and they say, we want to ask you something, but don't, don't, basically don't say no. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever done that to somebody. Uh, I want to ask you something. Don't you dare say no. And, uh, and they, they, they do this and, and they, they're asking for a place on Jesus' right-hand side in his kingdom and a place on his left. They want prominent places. Do you still want these guys in your small group? I tell you, they are something else. But this is John, and he's writing this letter. And this man is transformed. Praise God. He's transformed. And, and the way he addresses the people in this letter, he scatters it with phrases like, my children, dear children, dear friends. I mean, even verse 7 starts, doesn't it? Dear friends. I mean, it's, 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 it's hugely relational. See what the love of God has done to this man. G.K. Chesterton is a Christian writer and journalist in the 19, early 1900s. His favorite story was Beauty and the Beast. And his comment was this. Unlovely things must be deeply loved before they become lovable. And what has happened to John? He is so loved. And he knows the love of God so that he becomes lovable. And therefore, he knows these people. My children, dear children, fathers, dear friends. I mean, it's community. You can't write this without being in community. Do you know, in the early days of this church, a newcomer said, and this church used to be called Living Waters before it was, uh, became King's Church. He said, I expected that in a charismatic fellowship, tongues and other gifts would be overemphasized. Instead, I found that worshiping and enjoying Jesus and loving one another were keynotes. You cannot, you cannot love one another at a distance. I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of email and Facebook stuff and all the rest of it, but there's nothing like the context of community, connection with people, face to face, one another. That's the essence here. They didn't have Facebook in those days, by the way. You do understand that, don't you? We just, <laughs> see, that was their context. With one another. No, no distant stuff. This is why we encourage people to get connected. Community. community. It, it just don't. Uh, to, to even think of it as optional. Just wrong. It's essential. Do you know, this is why we invested so much. At, at, so much time in changing our small groups. I mean, I knew churches that had done small groups for so long 
and they just ran out of ideas and ran out of ways of doing it, and it just got so tired, they just let it go. And when they let it go, they were left to a Sunday, and after that, then they, they began to lose it because people need to be connected. That is a longing in people, and it's not just a Sunday thing. It can't be just a Sunday thing. To love one another can't be just to sit in a row, surely. It must be to connect it. That's why we did that series a while ago on rows to circles, moving from a row to a circle. We invested time in our small groups because we just see these are essential part of being in the life of the body of Jesus Christ. It's just absolutely key. This is church. We live in a consumerist society, you know. We have a, we have a culture which is what's in it for me. That's our, that is the culture in which we face, in which we live. You face this every time. There's this man, he's talking to his girlfriend, and he's summing up the courage. He's summing up all his courage, and he says, you know, um, I may not be as good looking as Tom, and I, I may not earn as much as Tom. I may not be as clever as Tom, but will you marry me? And she says, can you tell me more about Tom? Sort of a what's in it for me culture. We have a cultural thing here. That's not the way of the kingdom. Large church like ourselves, I, that's not a boastful remark here, but a large church, it does have, it has its pluses that people can sit here and be anonymous. I know a couple who came and, um, I mean, goodness me, they were so bruised, broken. I mean, they just had enough. And, and I, I think within the first month or so, I just sat down and talked with them just on a Sunday morning like this. And in a, in a, at the end of a meeting, just chatted with them. And I, I just I caught a bit of their story, and I thought, my goodness, you've been through the mill. And, and they, they said, you know, we just can't commit. And I said, that's fine. Just come here and receive the kindness of God, the love of God, no conditions, just come. That's all, just come. And I saw, them, I saw them get healed. I saw them get mended. I saw tears flow and change and confidence begin to come. And, and it was great. Listen, you can only do that for a short time. And for many different reasons, that's fine. And you may be in that boat. But this is the point. You can't stay there. You need to be connected with others. You may come here for all sorts of reasons. And when a church decides, I just don't know everybody. And it may be that you just love hearing the Word of God. That may be it. Or maybe it's the children's work. Or a combination of these. Uh, children's work, it's fantastic, it's brilliant. And I tell you what, it is. I mean, I've seen what they do with the children. It's brilliant. And then there's the youth work, and, and maybe it's just the life of the Spirit that you like. But if we don't love one another, what is the point of that? What is the point? What is the point of being a solitary, individualistic Christian? We were meant to be in community with one another, a connection with one another. You can do individual Christianity. It's not biblical, but you can do it. You know, God channel in the privacy of your own home. 
downloading the best speakers and, and then praying to be closer to Jesus. Let me say this right out front. You can only be closer to Jesus in community. Then somebody's going to say, you know, Neil, I have been so burnt by the church. Are you, I, I have been burnt. I've been hurt. I've really been hurt by the church. And I'm going to say to you, join the club. Join the club. And what's more, I'm going to give you guarantees. There are no guarantees here. There is, there's not one here that is the finished article. There isn't one. And uh, this is not a show home church. It doesn't work like that. The church, I have to say, listen, please hear me, has, <laughs> the church has been far more challenging than when I was running a branch of a building society that I used to run before I, joined, before I was brought into leadership in a church. The church has been far more challenging than what I experienced out there. Listen, to be honest, I've learned more about forgiveness in the church, thank you, than anywhere else. And I expect, listen, I expect because of me, others have learned forgiveness by the bucket load. I'm absolutely sure of that. But you can't grow unless you're in community. It's community that's going to make you grow. Input, output. You're gonna, if you're receiving the love of God, it's got to go somewhere. Otherwise, you're going to sit there and get nothing. It's just, sorry, it'll just drain out of you. So... You need to be in community, my friends. And that, what's more, you have to be intentional. If it's just a Sunday by Sunday thing, we're missing it. That's why we do the Like to Know More form every week. Every week, because we know, and people, they want to be connected. So the question is, where are you in all of that? You have to be intentional. Peter writes about living stones being built into a spiritual house. There's something about the power of God at work as he fits us together. The imagery is of, of a single unit being built by all these different parts and that it implies that your purpose and significance cannot be realized apart from being in community. We are better together than apart. Amen? We are better together than apart. So verse 10 goes, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Often we live in the world of conditional love. If you're good, if you please me, if you stay attractive and continue to do so, then I will love you. We feel first, decide second. Feeling first, decision second. But this love, God's love, it's the other way around. It works the opposite way. It chooses to love when circumstances don't warrant it. It's fueled by what's inside, not what's outside. It's best described as unprovoked love. Let me just illustrate. You hear on the news about a person who's standing at a bus stop. He's waiting for a bus. That's why he's at the bus stop. And then a gang of thugs come around the corner, and they, and they do a job on him. They beat him. They, they rob from him. They leave him bloodied and broken on the pavement. And we call that an unprovoked attack. He never had it coming. 
He never saw it coming. He never sought it. Well, Christians, we've been on the received, receiving of, of unprovoked love. We never deserved it. We never even sought it. We never expected it. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us, utterly unprovoked. It's love for no reason. It's love beyond reason. It's just the way he is. So, he chooses to love you. It's not about your worthiness, good manners, popularity, clumsiness, attitude issues. It's not about that. He pursues you relentlessly, goes after you. This is the, this is the unprovoked love of God. He restores you, mends you, heals you, gives you new life. But it's not meant to start with you. It's meant to go out. Regine is barely, barely able to make it out of Rwanda. And during the genocide of 1994, she lost many loved ones, family, friends, extended family. She was constantly on the run. When I say lost, killed. And that's what I'm saying. Well, and she's constantly on the run, hiding in caves, scavenging food. And finally, she manages to get to Canada as a refugee. And it was whilst on the run that she had her sister's Bible with her. And she turned to this Bible and she, and she just found Jesus in it. And in Canada, she falls in love, marries, and breathtakingly, God commissions her and her husband to go back to her homeland. Not to take vengeance, but to help and to heal others. Jesus changed her, met with her, sent her back. Freely you have received, freely give. The unprovoked love of God transforming ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus, together changing communities and nations. The early church was an absolute eye-opener. Christians were the most inclusive community in history. I mean, absolutely. Romans and Greek, they're rich and poor, did not mix. Christians did. Jews did not mix races. Christians did. Do you know what? Christians, the most inclusive, the most inclusive people on the face of the earth. You can only do this in community. You can only do this together. 40 days, church. You have 40 days. Well, let's do this together. Experiencing God together, enjoying God together, pray together, grow together. Why? Freely you've received, freely give. It's all because of the unprovoked love of God. Amen?